0: Hi, this is Russ Taff. Hi, this is John Olafanti. Hi, this is Josh
1: Flipper-Petra.
2: Hi, this is Kim Boyce. Hey, everybody, Stephen Curtis Chapman here, and you are listening to Jesus Freaks Final to Digital.
0: Hi, I'm Jason Huddle, host of Jesus Freaks Final to Digital. Before we get into this week's program, I just wanted to take a moment to thank you for downloading this episode and giving us a listen. If you really like what you hear, we'd love to have your support. How can you do that, you say? Well, I'm glad you asked. Simply visit patreon.com/jesusfreakspodcast and become a monthly sponsor. Now you can do that for as little as 2 measly dollars per month or you can go higher and get special perks like advanced access to episodes when available, the opportunity to submit questions I will ask our artists on future episodes, And even your very own Jesus Freaks t-shirt. Again, that's patreon.com slash Jesus Freaks Podcast. Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And hey, if you'd like your business or organization to become a sponsor of this program, let us know by visiting our website, JesusFreaksPodcast.com. And click on the Become a Sponsor link at the bottom of the page. Now that we've gotten that out of the way, let's get on with the show. In spite of the fact that he'd been gifted with unbelievable talent, Russ Taff battled his own demons throughout his career in the 80s and 90s.
1: And then all of a sudden, you are asked to join one of the biggest touring groups in gospel music. After a night, you go back to the bus and you're thinking, I'm not worthy of this. They should hire somebody else.
0: Millions of records sold, Grammy Awards, Dove Awards, they weren't enough for Russ. And he began to silence the demons with alcohol a choice that nearly cost him everything.
1: But I began to hate myself. I mean, I had turned into my dad, and I swore I'd never do that. It was hindering my relationship with God because I knew I wasn't doing right now. Sure. It separated me from his presence. Over these
0: next two very special episodes, Christian music legend Russ Taft tells his story of redemption and restoration and the people it took to get him there. That's coming up right now on Jesus Freaks Vinyl to Digital presentation of Capco Media Group. I'm your host, Jason Huddle. Me
2: your love will lead me
0: Welcome to this very special edition of Jesus Freaks Vinyl to Digital. I am joined today with CCM legend, Russ Taff. I cannot believe he's actually on my show. Russ, thank you so much for for joining us today.
1: Well, absolutely, Jason. Absolutely.
0: You know what? I just have to tell you, I'm a little bit fanboy, so I hope you can excuse (laughs) that. I have been a fan of yours since the Imperial days. Um, My parents were missionaries, and we traveled across the country a lot. And and, uh, so, one more song for you, that entire album. Just it's ingrained in me. Like I still sing the Eagle song and, and, you know, it's just, I don't know. It's just something special. And, and then of course, when you guys did Trumpet of Jesus, which I know isn't off that album, but still goodness gracious, man, those songs are just, they're still anointed. There's still, there's still something about those songs that you guys did in that era. Uh, We had Michael O'Brien on a few weeks ago and he has a a seventies medley. That he does at the at the end of his latest album called Crown Him, part of that seventies medley is Praise the Lord. Oh, my. and uh, he does an outstanding job. So if you haven't checked that out, I I encourage you to do that because I it's will. great. I
1: certainly will.
0: Yeah, uh, and and you know he when he sings it, just like when you sang it, it's the anointing is still there. It, oh, what great. is it about these songs from that era that stand the test of time?
1: Well, I wish I knew because I'd be writing a lot more of them. You know, it came real fast, but every once in a while, something just comes through that relates to people. And I've tried to write songs for people, but that just came out of me. I, I remember when Tori and I wrote that song, "We Will Stand." You're my brother, you're my mm-hmm. sister, you'll take me by the hand. There. It came real fast, and that's one that has stood the test of time in my career that people still want to hear and praise the Lord. But when I wrote We Will Stand, it was, it was for a specific reason. There was two. There was, there was a lot of racism here in Nashville, and this we wrote it in 1981, and I'll jump to Praise the Lord in just a minute, but sure. that was one that I wrote uh, with Tori. And I heard a story from uh, this guy's name was Archie Dennis. And there was this um, uh, uh, woman called Catherine Kuhlman that back in the 70s and 80s, she was someone that God really used to uh, uh, really reach people and had a healing ministry that was quite powerful. But Archie Dennis was a, um, he sang like opera. He, He had a real deep, wonderful voice to sing, like Amazing Grace, any song like that, but with this operatic kind of sound. And he was invited to this church in Alabama, and it was a white church. And this happened in the 60s. But he said that he got to the church Sunday morning, and he started setting up his equipment, his little sound system, and setting up his record table. And the pastor came in and saw that he was black, because he sang opera, you know, and on radio, you couldn't tell.
0: Correct. Yeah.
1: The pastor came up to him just real apologetic, and he said, this is not going to work. You know, this is an all-white church in Alabama, Mm. and it's not going to work. It's just not going to work, so Archie, in his story, he started packing up his equipment and started crying and taking this stuff out to the car and just sat down on the steps, you know, crying with his, his head in his hands and saying, Lord, you know, why won't they let me in? We're all the body of Christ. Why won't they let me in? And he said he heard that voice that he knew was God that said, they won't let me in either.
0: Oh, wow. Uh, so, That's deep.
1: But, you know, racism is in the early part of my career. It was the pentecostals would bring me in and then the baptists would come right the baptists would bring me in and the pentecostals or methodists wouldn't come and there was a real divide and that song was just a rallying cry of like let we got to work together we got to stand together and it really hit a nerve sure it has been recorded in so many different languages and and even praise the lord when i heard it uh, I was back in the Imperials and um, I'd written several songs, but Brown Bannister brought me this song and he and Mark Heard had, had written it and he wanted us to record it. And so he wanted me to sing it and brought me the song. And we sat down in the studio and it was just a little demo with a uh, uh, piano and either Mark or Brown singing. And uh, it was just a real, you know, bland demo with, you know, just, basically turn on the recorder and saying, but the song just got all over me. It went down to my soul. And it was like, if I had a message right now that I could take to the church, it would be this message that, that when we praise him, it turns everything around and it gets us off our problem and on the person our heavenly father that can take care of the problem but again it was just one of those songs that went down to my spine and it was this is true this is real
2: when you're up against a struggle that shatters all your dreams and your hopes have been cruelly crushed by satan's manifested scheme and you feel the urge within you to submit to earthly Cheers.
1: Songs like that—they don't have wide lapels. That they don't go out of style. They right. and and uh, and Bill and Gloria have written multitudes of songs like that that still stand the test of time. But it's full of truth and power, and it stirs people. Um, and uh, but nobody can predict. Nobody can predict when it's going to hit. It, it's just one of those things. It's a heart thing. Sure. It's the heart. Yeah. But songs, songs like that, they just come along periodically, just periodically they come along.
0: Yeah. I mean, it is a, a bit to me, it's a bit of a lightning in a bottle kind of situation now where there's, you have these songs and they're really big, uh, but then they kind of fade and and songs. I, I mean, I guess all songs kind of fade in popularity, but you know, it's like, like I said, when that, um, when I was interviewing Michael and he actually did it, he had his keyboard set up in his studio when we were doing the interview and he played it right Right. there. And when he played it, it was all of a sudden, I was right back in my parents' station wagon, going across the country, listening to the Imperials. It was, I was right there. Um, It just brought me back in a heartbeat and it's, there's very few songs that can do that to you, but, but that was one of them and I commend you guys for recording that. It, It is incredible.
1: Well, it was one of those God thing moment, you know, you can't duplicate it. You can't write another song about praise that, I mean, that captured it all. And so let's write about something else. (laughs) Right. Right. That song will be around in a hundred years.
0: Right. And, and, you know, uh, we talked about, uh, we had Brian Duncan on uh, our second episode. We had Brian Duncan on and we were talking about different songs that, you know, some of them aren't particularly deep and, and some of them, you know, and praise the Lord. It's a declaration song, you know, it's not necessarily particularly deep per se, but it's
1: still, it's still anointed. Yeah, it's just a simple message. And yeah. the, the tongue we will stand, you're my brother, you're my sister, so right. take me by the hand. I mean, right. they're, they're simple messages, and it seems to be they can sing them pretty fast once they hear them. Yeah. You know, praise the Lord, he can work to those who praise right. him, praise the Lord. So the melodies aren't, aren't real difficult. Right, um, And they're, they're easily repeated that, uh, but they just have that. I don't know. I don't, I don't want to minimize it, but it's like, it's that it factor. It's just sure. there and it's got it and it moves people and it takes people to glory.
0: Well, let's skip ahead to another song that you recorded if several years later. Um, that is another song that got me through a lot of, of tough times. And that's, I still believe, which, is also the namesake of your documentary that came out a couple of years ago, which I want to talk about. We'll get to that in a second. But I still believe there's so much passion behind that song. And I had read in an article in CCM magazine many, many years ago that part of the reason at least that you recorded that song was because of an incident that happened between you and Jimmy Swaggart where you were at a convention, you had actually performed, and then he got up and, and started blasting you and Mylon LeFevre and, you know, these Christian rock artists, quote unquote, that were, you know, singing the devil's music. What kind of effect did that have on you in that moment?
1: It uh, It really hurt. I mean, he's an elder. He's a prophet, sure. you know, in the body of Christ, and he has... Millions of people listening to him, and for him to stand up and blast across the radio and television that our music was of the devil, and we were all working so hard back then, trying to break contemporary Christian music. it was new, sure. you know, the imperials were were some of the first you know groups artists that that, uh, we're on the front line of breaking this medium of contemporary Christian music. And it was just music for our generation. Sure. And, um, and I love Southern gospel. I grew up in it. Uh, but that hurt so bad because we were working so hard and we were seeing people come to Christ. I mean, you know, people, uh, at times, you know, they would walk forward and accept Jesus, but When you have a man of God that has the ear of millions condemning you and saying that you were wrong and what you're doing is of the devil, uh, and it makes so many people question who you are and what you're doing and your motivation, And, and when you're young like that, you can't defend yourself. You know, I, I can't go and, and I don't have the platform of television and radio like he does that I could go justify myself. But I was so proud during that time that when it hit real hard and he was attacking us in in the contemporary field that Bill Gaither flew down to Louisiana and appealed to Jimmy. But these are young guys, young girls that that are, are doing their best, you know. And we should encourage them. Uh, and Bill flew home, but it didn't change anything. No. It it didn't change anything, and we just kind of had to keep doing what we're we're doing. Uh, and eventually, God vindicated us. That people saw that it's real, it's lasting. And songs like "Praise the Lord," songs like uh other songs we've talked about but that song in particular was one of the reasons that that song became my theme song front. Uh, in us in a small degree, but you've become a target.
0: Sure. Absolutely.
1: And the story that I heard that came back after years was that was a topic that brought in money. People wanted support that. Let's get this devil music off the air and mm. away from church. And uh, it was profitable for him to preach that message I heard. But You know, things like that, 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 you know, it's like my mother told me, you know, she grew up in a little bitty church in the Ozarks, the hills of Arkansas, and all they could play in their church was a pump organ (laughs) because pianos were used in the honky tonks.
0: Oh, no. And
1: so the only instrument they could use was that pump organ, uh, because, uh, Uh, You know, they use piano in honky tonks and bars, and we're not going to do that because it's a devil, devil uh, instrument. Yeah. Uh, But, you know, we watch we watch through our history that um, when you're out front and and especially in a new genre, uh, you uh, criticism is just a part of the uh, of the work of, of, of pioneers. Yeah. to uh To continue uh, the work and and it's been incredible watching this great great influx of artists that have come in and have taken the torch and 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 are shaking the country um you know and getting you know secular airplay yeah and bart 's movie that you know goes into theaters across the country in um but it's it's exciting to hear, you know, some of those guys come up and say, Hey, I was listening to you in the eighties and you really influenced what I did. It 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 makes me happy that I was part of their of their journey, uh, to, to where they were able to take it and take it further than than we ever did in my generation.
0: I have no doubt that you were part of many artists' journey, but let me ask you this. Who was your guy? Not not necessarily who was your musical influence. I'm talking about who was the guy you could call at three o'clock in the morning that you didn't have to worry about judgment because you knew this person was going to, to have your back every time.
1: Well, um, 35 years ago, 38 years ago, maybe I met Bill Gaither and he had been through it all. You know, he had been criticized abandoned by folks and uh, attacked and people calling him, you know, you're just in it for the money and, sure. and all of these things. And, you know, he, he went before us and he was able to tell me, be patient, you know, God will vindicate you. Well, what about this record deal? Well, here's, here's the ins and out of a record deal. And this is what to look for. This is what not to look for. Uh What about the band on the road? You know, I mean, you put nine people in a 40 foot bus, my <laughs> Lord, you know, it, fireworks go off. At I'm time. sure. But I mean, he was able to instruct a bunch of us back then. We used to do a uh a retreats here outside Tennessee at one of the state parks. And for three days, you know, Bill and Gloria would instruct and they would bring in teachers that, that could help us. Uh, and man, I mean, it's me, Amy Grant, Michael W., Mylon, a whole slew of us. And for three days, Bill and Gloria would just pour into us mm. uh, songwriting, um, you know, what to look out for. And when people attack, here's, here's a, a program that worked for us that kept us going, and so those years were incredible, but Bill has always been that for me and he's still one of my best friends in the world, but he's one I can call at three o'clock in the morning and, and he'll pick up and talk to me.
0: That's awesome. That's, I, I guess I should have known you would have said that, but in a way it's kind of surprising and that's, but it's an awesome story. It's, it's oh, great to, to see that he's spoken into your life that way.
1: Well, and you think, I, I mean, when people are stars yeah. and they have millions of followers and Bill has sold 21 million of those DVDs and he's been on TV and all of
2: that, sure.
1: but he's the most accessible person I know as, mm. as someone that is in that rank, that star level uh, that has millions of followers and because he always picks up when I call. Mm. Um, I mean, it, it's just amazing. Or I'll text him, and within thirty minutes he texts me back. Uh, but he's made himself available, and that has taught me with the people following me: be available. Our job as as we grow older, it's like, you know, what what John said, uh, John the Baptist: it's like I must decrease, and he must increase. Yeah. And, you know, I, and I'm okay with second fiddle. My job is to encourage and to lift up and support. And, and I mean, to, to really pat him on the back and say, keep going. Yeah. Uh, and I love that. I love that. I don't care
2: what label you may wear. If you believe in Jesus, you belong.
0: into your documentary a little bit and Bill played a big part in that your documentary that came out uh, in 2018 called I Still Believe in that story and we don't need to drudge everything up because it's pretty much pretty well laid out there yeah. but how much time do we have yeah right <laughs> we might have to make this like a three-parter if we yeah. don't know we're doing. Um, No, but obviously you're you struggled for many, many years uh Absolutely. with alcoholism. And I I think you said it it started during the when after metals came out, right? When you, that's really when you started to hit the big time, right?
1: Well, it 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 was. It started maybe two years before metals. Uh I I grew up with um well it started when I was twenty six. Okay. My, that's when it started, but it didn't really get out of hand for a couple of years but i grew up in a in a home that daily daily you're not worth a bullet to shoot you with mm. not worth the salt that goes on your bread and you will never amount to anything and for me it was like and also why can't you be more like your cousin who was mm. a star athlete straight A student and you know i was short and slow and and i was always one of the last guys they would pick to be yeah. on a team I feel you're paying there. (laughs) with that constant, you know, you're you're not worthy. You're, you'll never be worthy. Uh, and, and after a while you believe them and you start saying it to yourself It's like, I, I am not worthy. And then all of a sudden, um, you, you are asked to join one of the biggest touring groups in gospel music. And you join the group, and you're playing to thousands of people. And you, after a night, you go back to the bus, and you're thinking, I'm not worthy of this. They should hire somebody else. Um, they're going to find out that I'm a phony, and I'm not I'm not worth a bullet to shoot me with. And then uh, when I left the Imperials, those voices were just, so loud. But when I was in 26 years old, I mean, it kept me from moving forward. It, it, it didn't allow me to move forward. I'm held in this, this cocoon of you're not worth it. You're just not worth it. And what people, parents say to their kids, they believe them after a while. Yeah, sure. And I mean, I'd win Grammys and go back to the hotel and, and those voices would start up. You're not worth it. They messed up. They should have voted for this one or that one. And they made a mistake. And so, I mean, God can give you everything there is. But if you don't feel like you're worth it, you won't take it. You won't take it. Somebody else deserves it a lot more than me. But I was in New York. And I'll I'll keep this brief because, you know, it's a long story of, of recovery. But I was in New York, and it was the summer. Uh, in in uh, uh, New York. Tori's brother played with the, the New York Philharmonic. He was oh, wow. a okay. doctor from Yale and an incredible musician. And his wife danced with the American Ballet Theater. And I'd never been around anything like that. Never been around classical music. And we just blown away by um, the beauty of classical music. I'd never been around it. But Um. We were, we were out of Cokes and here in Nashville for years, it's, it's, uh, we would play around golf and a couple of my buddies would, Christians would, they'd get a beer. And for a while, my pastor, we would go to dinner and he'd have a glass of wine with dinner. I mean, it wasn't a taboo. Right. I I didn't know I was an alcoholic, Mm -hmm. but I remember in New York, um, we were out of Cokes and that's before they discovered bottled water. Um, and there are three Heineken's in the fridge and well, you know, I know people that drink and this will cool me down and I'll just have, you know, I'll just have half a one or whatever and put it back. But I hated the taste of it, but I drank it. Mm. And within 15 minutes, I started feeling something. And so in about another 15, 20, I had another one. And it quieted the voices more. And I had that third one. And those voices were silent. And I promised, Jason, I lifted my hands in that that little apartment and I began to worship God. I can live this way. I, I can live this way. I don't hear those negative voices and uh, you, you know, I'm okay with myself not knowing that I was a perfect candidate to become an alcoholic, like my dad. Right. Uh, Cause my dad was a Pentecostal preacher and an alcoholic, but it was incredible. I was free from you're not worth that bullet to shoot you with. You're not worth the salt that goes on your bread and, and you'll never amount to anything. I, I could step into the role of a gospel singer and not beat myself up because I was having success. But that started, for just a short time, it was wonderful that I could, uh, I, I was just free from it. And, you know, I didn't know back then there wasn't all of this about this disease uh, of alcoholism. In 1957, the American Medical Association called it alcoholism a disease because it fits all the criteria of a disease, uh, like tuberculosis or, or sure. uh, uh, cancer. Uh, it's a disease, but then it began to turn on me. Yeah. And as it always does. Absolutely. Absolutely. But then I found myself hiding it. And then I began to, I'm just going to call it lie. I was fudging the truth, you know, because I'd come home with maybe a liquor on my breath and, um, and I tell story where we were playing golf. And I I just had a couple with guys when I had a six pack. Right. And to protect yourself, you start lying. Anybody that's been, uh, you know, a, an, an addict, you, you understand how you do things to protect yourself sure. from the reality of what you're doing. But I began to hate myself. I mean, I had turned into my dad and I swore I'd never do that. It was hindering my relationship with God because I knew I wasn't doing right now. Sure. It separated me from his presence. And, and, I, I mean, I, I, I went to hell. I went to hell. And, and I would beg God for forgiveness. And I swore I wouldn't drink before I went on stage. And I honored that. I would have it back in the room waiting for me. Because, yeah, the voices were quieted. But then this great weight of guilt and shame uh, just began to wash over me, and, and I could not live with myself. Mm-hmm. It was like everything my daddy was, I've turned into, and uh, my life is miserable. Uh, you know, I don't care if I die. Yeah, you, you, you know, I just, this is horrible, it's awful. Her name was Mama June. Remember the, the uh, white headed lady? Yes. I moved in with them when I was 17 when I couldn't take the family system of my birth mom and dad just from the craziness and the trauma of being a Pentecostal preacher. Then six months later, he's drunk and throwing him out of the church. And, you know, until I was 17, that was my life. Sure. Um, but I remember one day she confronted me. I was down in Hot Springs, and uh, and she said, let's have coffee. Well, of course, I love her. And she sat me down, and she told me, I think you're drinking too much. I think you're withdrawing from people. You are isolating yourself. We no longer talk like we used to. Uh, you're not open to me. You... When you're around me, you keep your head down. And I think you have a problem with alcohol. And of course, I denied it. No, 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 no. I just have a couple now and then. I just have a couple now and then. But I knew she was right. I knew she was right. But then, um, after my first solo record, Waltz of Glass, it really got a hold of me. It really got a hold of me. And... I became two people. I hated myself, but as I would walk up on that stage, I was begging God for forgiveness. And I would turn into that image of this bright, shining gospel singer. And then I would walk back off the stage and I would take on the role of this guy that hated himself and could not live with himself. It got to the point that, that I couldn't even look myself in the face shaving because I hated myself. But it got real bad. It got real bad.
2: Sometimes the questions seem so hard. Are we growing together or falling apart? The ghosts of the past have not infected our dreams. What's the damage? What's the cost? Are we destined to repeat? hearts were strong and true, we trembled as we fought to keep our firstborn alive, when the things get out of hand, and how do we survive?
0: Join us next week for the incredibly compelling conclusion to our interview with Russ Taff as he describes how God lifted him out of the miry clay and back onto the path that he had set before him. It's an incredible tale and I don't want you to miss it. That's coming up next week on part two of our interview with Russ Taff here on Jesus Freak's Final to Digital, a presentation of Cabco Media Group. I'm your host, Jason Huddle. Taking us out is from Russ Taff's self-titled album. It's called This Love is Strong. Until next week, God bless.